0: Cutting off your mother goes against everything in your biology. You are literally hardwired to come into this world needing and wanting your mother. Boundaries are for you and nobody else. What boundaries am I going to have for me to show up in this relationship with this person? Because I can't change other people. Just want to normalize the messiness of That beginning stage of healing is like when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon to become a butterfly. No matter what, it's going to be some version of walking through a fire to get to the other side. And there is another side. There is healing.
1: back everyone to Diary of an Empath. My next guest is Abby Williams. She's a trauma therapist and the host of the worldwide podcast, You the Mother, and it's making waves on social media and she's making waves on social media with her trauma work. You guys know how I've, uh, I've been very vulnerable and open with my own relationship with my mom and I've gotten so much feedback from so many of my listeners on this um, relationship that a lot of people have with their mom mom, and how it's there's a wound there. Um, Abby, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have this conversation.
0: Thank you for being here. And I just want to say thank you for being vulnerable and sharing pieces of yourself like that. Um, the estrangement and difficult family arena is a really lonely place to be. We need those those people that are willing to do the work and share their stories. Cause that's where we heal.
1: It, it's hard. I think too, yeah. because society, society tells us that we're supposed to have this amazing relationship with our mom. And mm-hmm. when we don't, I think, especially for those of us that become a mom, yeah. it can be really, really difficult. And I had a lot of that in my childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about you. What do I need to understand about the woman that you've become today, who I'm talking to, what do I need to understand about your childhood to understand that?
0: Yeah. So I think I grew up in a pretty, I'm going to use air quotes, normal middle-class family. Um, You know, we went to good schools. We didn't really struggle a whole bunch, but behind closed doors, things were not great. Um, There was addiction in my home. There was a lot of fighting um, and I think me being the oldest daughter, I very easily assumed the role of being the protector. Um, I was always the one that was very outspoken, the one that drew attention to some of the dysfunctional behaviors that were happening in my home. And at times I was, I would say, praised and rewarded for being in that role. And then there were other times where love was withdrawn because you were that person. So it was very confusing being in that role. Um, I think my mother very much needed a person like me. Um, she's got a lot of her own unresolved trauma. When we talk about some of the mother wounding, you know, mother wound is a big buzzword on social media these days. When we talk about mother wounding, it's important to know that this wounding is often, uh, passed down through generations. Um, It's when our mother doesn't deal with their own unresolved trauma, and then it gets passed down onto you, and now you are impacted by both their trauma and the things that they are going through while parenting you, um, and the ways that you're parented. And now you've got some of hers and some of yours, now you're going off into the world, right? Um, so for me, I was very much that deeply feeling child that was feeling all of her past traumas while trying to protect us in our current situation. And I was very much a fighter. I was the bad kid that I'm putting in air quotes because I don't believe in bad kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was the bad kid in my family. I was the fighter. I was the speaker, the truth teller, um, which then... Led me to be the scapegoat. In um, dysfunctional family systems, they thrive on their not being that person, on the dysfunction being able to continue. That is the system. And so, one per- when one person steps out of the system and says, "Hey, what's going on here? Isn't right?" and they're waving the white flag, that person's often scapegoated. So that's what happened to me. I would say beginning in teen years. Mm-hmm. Um, but then just kept getting louder and louder for me in that role. Um, until I became a young mom. I became a mom at 20 years old. And um, a unexpected mm-hmm. <laughs> pregnancy. Um, but he's been the bus- biggest blessing. I have a beautiful co-parenting a relationship with his father, Uh, navigating some of those things, just being a young single mom, though, and trying to get through my education, go on to grad school as a single mom. Those were really crucial years where I needed desperately a lot of support, and I was not getting a lot of support. I was actually Mm -hmm. getting a lot of the opposite. Mm -hmm. Um, met my husband halfway through my graduate program, and we now have three more children. Um but, as I was continuing to grow as a woman and creating my own family, my ability to continue to be the protector and to continue to be all of these things that I was carrying for my family of origin just was not possible for me physically, mentally any anyway. mm-hmm. <laughs> and Uh, when I was pregnant with my fourth child, um, and when I was pregnant with my fourth child was when I finally had to go no contact with my mother. Um, and I tried to create the boundaries. I tried to have the conversations, um, much like many of us who end up in this arena of estrangement do, this wasn't an overnight thing. You know, it was a very long journey to get here. And now I've been four, four and a half years, no contact. Um, and all the ripple effect that that brings. It's so hard. Like I was saying in the the very beginning,
1: society tells us that we're supposed to have this amazing relationship with our moms. And that women are naturally nurturing. It's kind of like mm-hmm. that nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. I was pregnant at 20, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was in the, the military at the time. And I went through really ups and downs with my mom of being on my own at a very young age, at 17, mm-hmm. her kicking me out. The I never had any help, which is why I had to go into the military. I remember yeah. distinctly when I went through a divorce and it was a very abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And when he finally got removed from the home, I had no money for groceries. I was in grad school. I was trying my best to just finish school. And I remember distinctly her words saying, why don't you sell some of your, your stuff? sell 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 your stuff to get groceries and i'm thinking in my head like you're my mom i just need some groceries groceries. like can you can you just help me with some food like i don't i i don't i'm not asking for much and i knew at that point i'm like i can never depend on her and i i became this mega independent um hyper independent woman who like some people are like oh you you know you're you strive on that but it's exhausting Mm -hmm. It so
0: exhausting.
1: let's go back to the the childhood, because mm-hmm. I feel like even listening to you, I'm like, man, we have some similarities. Yeah, we definitely do. <laughs> when you have this mother figure or a caregiver figure who has this confusing way of showing love, giving love, taking love out, mm-hmm. how does that affect us as we now start to maneuver relationships as adults?
0: yeah. So I think, you know, it kind of presents differently between the mother wound and father wound. But I think, you know, our mothers are supposed to be our source of refuge, our emotional safety. When you get hurt, you go to mom and she loves on you and she cares for you. Right. And we get those needs met. Um, When we have emotionally immature moms, when we have toxic moms, when we have some of these moms that have a lot of unprocessed trauma of their own um, that they're not managing. And some of that wounding is being passed on. The thing that's coming up is now your attachment styles are getting disruptive. And there's lots of quizzes online that the listeners can go in and figure out what is your attachment style? What is some of your attachment wounding? These are really important for all of us to kind of know, as we're now adults, maneuvering lots of different relationships, what's my stuff that I'm bringing into this? What are some things that I need to resolve? Um, for me, I feel like there was a lot of disorganized attachment with my mother where mm-hmm. she was either my best friend, mm-hmm. or she was icing me out and the silent treatment was going on for months. And there was no in between right we were either you know and I kind of joke that like I was raised at the mean girl table and like that's how we bonded was just gossiping trash talking people like that's how I grew up mm-hmm. um and kind of untangling some of yourself from that in adulthood is like what in the world being a mom now and being like trying to wrap your head around some of those things how could you be like this with your kids Um, there's a lot of untangling that gets done over here in adulthood where you're, the veil kind of comes off. You're having this awakening that, Hey, maybe the things that were happening in this relationship while she was supposed to be my mother who knows best, who whatever is all the things that society preaches, right? Maybe this wasn't a healthy relationship for me. Maybe this was promoting a lot of, um, unhealthy coping skills for me becoming, and I'm raising my hand with you, girl, of like Mm -hmm. the hyper independence, the um, over functioning. And that gets really confusing, too, because then it's like, okay, well, I'm an over functioner and hyper independent, you know, and these are quote, unquote, bad things. These are my unhealthy, you know, coping skills that I've picked up along the way to survive Mm
1: -hmm. in
0: some of these relationships. But who am I without them? And Look at how great they've been for you, you know, right. for me, like, and you too, being young single mothers, you know, who were in bad situations, because young single motherhood, right? It got you through school, it got you, you know, to get a license and a degree. And, mm-hmm. you know, like this beautiful life that you have now is 100% my over functioning. Yes, is my hyper independence, <laughs> right? You know, and like, and I've it's my trauma like this whole thing, right? Yeah. And now, you know, especially like me and the position that I'm in now where I've created you, the mother, um, you know, I run groups and one on one coaching and I just took 14 women on a, a retreat to Costa Rica covering the mother wound, you know, and like, all the things that I've produced and put out are. Beautiful pieces of work, and I'm so proud of them, and mm-hmm. they do kind of come from some of these things, right, and yeah. so those can be just like such a mind of of okay, well, how much do I separate myself from these things? How much feeling do I need to do, but I mm-hmm. want to keep hold on to some of these things, like where's the line, where is the balance? There is balance there, like we can keep some of these pieces of ourselves that okay, I love to produce, I love to create. I want to be putting out these beautiful works out into the world. How am I balancing, like not losing Abby in it though, right? Mm -hmm. How am I preventing burnout? How am I cultivating closeness and relationships, you know? And so those are, I think that's the things that we need to be mindful of, as well as am I attaching my worth to the things that I'm producing? Mm -hmm. Because I know for a long time, that's where I was, Tying my worth to maybe if I get this degree, she'll like me. Mm -hmm. Maybe if I do this for her, she'll like me. Maybe if I do this, I won't get the silent treatment. Maybe if I do this, I'll prove myself that me having a baby at 20 didn't end my life the way that she told me it would. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: You know, and separating myself from that and just fully giving myself to the projects that I'm doing, to the work that I'm doing. Do I need to be better at my calendar? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Too. I'm still a work in progress. I still like to just—it's an inside overbook, joke, you guys. Overbook, right? Inside joke, <laughs> you know? Right? It,
1: it's it's hard. I think it's hard you know, being a mom and navigating even. So I I want to just say that I love this new generation because this new generation is like pro mental health. They're listening. They're like, Oh my God, the mother wound. Let's talk about it. Let's get treatment. Let's do group therapy. Let's do it all. Let's do retreats. And in our generation, I feel like we didn't have the resources. Yeah, Our parents didn't have a lot of the resources. And you know, with my mom, she's not a bad person. She just, she, it was very confusing growing up with somebody who was so, you could tell she wants the connection, but she's so willing to disconnect and completely be like, you know, I'm out and go ghost for a year because she wants to punish me in some way. And so growing up, that was confusing. And as I got into adulthood, I fathomed with, do I just completely go no no contact Mm -hmm. and cut her off? And we would sometimes for like a year and then right. she would come back and be nice and the cycle would start again. Right. So for somebody who is going through this relationship with their mother mm-hmm. and they know that it's toxic or they've thought about going no contact, what advice do you have for them? And at what point mm-hmm. do we give ourselves permission to do that?
0: Mm-hmm. I think that there's a couple different things I want to touch on. First, I want to touch on boundaries, right? We hear the word boundaries thrown around all over the place. And like, what the heck does that actually mean? Boundaries are for you and nobody else. You know, start getting clear about the boundaries for yourself. What boundaries am I going to have for me to show up in this relationship with this person? Because I can't change other people. I can only change how I am showing up in these relationships, right? So if every Thanksgiving you show up and things are being said about your body, how are you going to respond differently? How are you not going to engage? How are you going to engage? What's going to go different on your end? Because those comments are going to keep coming. You've already asked them probably a hundred, a million times. Stop doing that. And it's not stopping. Um, for me, it was the silent treatment, right? The silent treatment would come. I'm like, hey, I cannot be in this relationship. if The silent treatment is going to continue. I never got a response to that one. So now we're no contact four and a half mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think that getting really clear on what are the boundaries for you to maintain this relationship with them. If nothing is going to change, what are you going to change? Secondly, I think that really listening to our bodies. every single person that I've talked to in the estrangement arena who has limited contact on no contact, done the dance of back- and forth stuff, whatever, it, each one of our stories sound pretty similar. We're like, "Yeah, same, 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 but we're all uniquely different. Mm-hmm. So listening to what's going on in your body, and your body is so beautifully made to send you signals of when is when, right? Now, if you're like me, you breezed past those things for a decade, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and you kept on going. Being so nice to yourself, if you do finally get there, of why didn't I do this a decade sooner? I knew Mm -hmm. that I should have gone no contact a decade before I did, and I couldn't. Why couldn't I? Because I wasn't in the same situation that I was when I finally went no contact. When I finally went no contact, I was in a safe and loving relationship with my husband where I did have support. You know, I had financial means to get into therapy. You know, there's lots of different variables. So being so gentle with yourself and so much compassion of where you are in your season is super important. Cutting off your mother goes against everything in your biology. You are literally hardwired to come into this world needing and wanting your mother. If there is ever a person around you or yourself that is going no contact with their mother, I hope that you support yourself and I hope you support that person. This was not an overnight easy decision. It is literally like cutting off your arm. You now have to relearn the world around you without that arm. You're grieving the loss of that arm. You have to figure out, okay, how am I going to maneuver these things without my mom? Uh, Sometimes there's a literal pain, just like, you know, you can talk to people who have lost literal limbs. They have, you know, the phantom feeling of it being there. They miss their limbs, right? It is literally the same thing of, I miss her. I wish it was different. The grief is so intense and it is brutal. Mm -hmm. It's like walking through fire. So no matter where you are in that journey, I hope that you are so compassionate with yourself and I hope that you are so gentle in the journey that you're embarking on. Whether you're at the beginning stages of what the heck am I doing in this relationship? It doesn't feel good. Or if you're on the other side, you've gone no contact. And now what the heck does that mean? That healing is messy and painful and just be so gentle with you.
1: Did you guys know that I'm not only a therapist, but I'm also a coach and a professional tarot reader. Now it's not exactly me hovering over a crystal ball, telling your future. It's a way to connect with your guides on life issues, such as career and love and spirituality. And sometimes people need one-on-one coaching to help them through breakups, toxic relationships, healing the mother wound, their spiritual path or navigating tools as an empath. So I do all of these things to help my clients pursue life and decisions and understand themselves. So if you are interested in one-on-one coaching or a tarot reading, click the link below to get started. Okay, back to the podcast. And you're grieving the loss of the mother you'll never have. Right. Because we have this desire and this want for a connection, a nurturing, a supportive and understanding mother. And for those of us that maybe got little snippets of that, Mm -hmm. especially can be really hard because it's accepting the fact that my mother will never be who I need her to be. And I actually made a post recently. And sometimes, you know, I think when you write, I I look at some of the things I write, sometimes I'm like, Oh, shit, I really needed to hear that. But (laughs) there was that's like all my work yeah so really. and i'm like oh man that was like i i i could have re- i i could have saved my money my money in therapy for 10 years um i made a post and i was really you know talking about um the relationship with my mom and mm-hmm. i'm really the adult that i needed for myself yeah. now yeah and that was a big realization of like if i would have had the person i am today as a role model, as a mother, I think that it would have saved me years of trauma and years of hyper-independence. And, you know, I'm grateful for who I am today, but that was a hard realization. So for those of us that are now moms ourselves, um, how do we begin to recognize and change some of those cycles so that way we can be better moms to our kids and be the people we needed when we were children?
0: right well I think first I'm going to normalize your mother is going to come out of your mouth you are going to do some of the same things um and the difference is is that you are self-aware enough to know that it's happening right um We come like into parenthood with this blueprint, right, from where we came from. And so when we're talking about breaking cycles, you know, what does that mean? You know, that means rewriting and rewiring some of our blueprint. And that is not an easy job. And it's not going to be an overnight job. This is going to be an all the time check in with yourself. So when we like stress self care to moms, You have to be self-caring, right? And what does that mean in 2023 when the world's on fire? You know, people are struggling to make ends meet. I have to work. I have multiple kids. Like, ladies, I'm right alongside of you or whoever's listening. I'm right alongside of you, right? We live in a really busy world with lots of responsibilities and we have to be doing things in order to put food on the table, so, what does that mean that I need to take, you know, that I need to self care, right? For me, as an over functioner who works way more than I need to, and I have four kids because I don't know, I guess I just really loved over functioning <laughs> that much. It's like, let's just overburden there let's too. Do it. <laughs> um, for me, that means when I'm in the shower every day, I'm checking in on myself of what's going on, right? When you're brushing your teeth, that's something that you're doing every day. What's going on? Where are you? Am I starting the day super stressed? Is my stress level already a seven? And we haven't even gotten out the door. How am I going to bring it down? Right? We have to be checking in on ourselves. But I think that, you know, we're going to have moments. And I don't know if you have these moments too, Chris, but. For me, like the silent treatment is like my biggest like wounding, right? Mm-hmm. The silent treatment, I could not, cannot, and I just can't even continue in a, in that relationship because it is so damaging to me. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, when my kids push those little trigger buttons, which they're going to because that's their jobs, mm-hmm. they're going to push, push these little trigger buttons. My immediate like thing that I want to do is ice them out. Mm -hmm. What the heck? Why? Like, what kind of monster am I that I know how horrible this is? is, But I still get like the urge to just ice them out and prove to them that they are wrong, they are bad. And they're hurting me, right? Mm -hmm. And that they need to come apologize to me. I just want you to be so nice to yourself when you have these moments come up, and that this does not make you a monster. This is conditioned in you and this is your blueprint. And this is where you came from. But you have the power and the responsibility to change it, right? So mm-hmm. instead of doing these things, we're going to choose different tools, right? We're going to connect with them and do all the things that we know that we're supposed to be doing or that we're learning about doing, right? Okay. But I just had a really bad moment and the monster inside, we'll call her, one, And I iced out my kid. Those moments are going to come up too, where we do do the things that wounded us as kids. What are we going to do different? We're going to acknowledge that we did that. We're going to acknowledge the impact that we had on them. Hey, I think that when I said that, I made you feel blank. Is that true? And we're going to apologize. How different would your life be if the people that you had some of these dysfunctional relationships with could acknowledge the impact that they had on you, take accountability and apologize. We are not ever going to be perfect parents. There's not a perfect parent on the planet, not your favorite parenting guru that you're following on social media, not the chick with all the books, not the top parenting podcast on the podcast platforms, not a Mm -hmm. single one of them is a perfect parent. Mm -hmm. Not a single one of them is free from conflict or ruptures in their relationships with their kids. The difference between a messy parent just being an imperfect human raising children and some of these toxic parents that we're talking about is this ability to repair we're always the goal is always to, I think, improve upon the last generation. So we do and I love that like you acknowledge that, that that we do have a lot more resources, our generation, like this is a huge advantage to breaking mm-hmm. cycles, we have all the finger, all the research and all the information right in our fingertips and our phone all day long. This can also be yeah. A bad that's thing. A, <laughs>
1: whole, that's another conversation. Yeah, that's a whole that, other conversation. That adds so, into like, our hyper independence and and addiction to the phone. <laughs>
0: so, like I don't know. Be really like mindful about what you're consuming to. Pick like one, pick mm-hmm. one that you really trust that you're following, that you're a part of like their courses, that you're getting the information from, right? But I think also kind of like taming some of the and we talked about this in my parenting with trauma project where um just like kind of lowering the bar of the expectations. We do not have to be the genera- the cycle breakers for every single generational cycle that needs broken in our line of, you know, stuff that we're coming from, right? Mm-hmm. Break the ones that feel most important your kids are going to come along and do better than you. And I hope that you're there cheering them on when they are, when they're saying, Hey, mom, uh, you missed the mark on these things. And now I'm doing these in my parenting. I want us to come to the table and be like, Oh, my gosh, this is such great research that you've gotten. This is such great information that you've gotten. I love this. How can I support you? Instead of coming from a defensive place where I see a lot of our parents' generation coming from is, I guess I just do nothing right. I guess I just wasn't a good mom, you know, and a lot of that kind of stuff. We don't have to be like that, right? We want them to do better than us. I hope that that's always the goal is that they're gonna be a better version. You know, Um, Mr. Chaz, he, in our parenting with trauma project put it so beautifully he said that you know cycle breakers are like generation one iphones right it's super great and you're doing big things and it's the greatest thing ever because it's the first one but then the second generation came and they're even better and then the third one came and they're even better and so just like think about how beautiful like this gift of being a cycle breaker is for your whole bloodline you know, being generation one, but then looking ahead to your grandchildren, your great grandchildren and all the beautiful things that hopefully are to come to me, like that's wealth, right? And so we're just passing along little tools and little building blocks that they're going to build on and the next generation is going to build on and it's just going to be this beautiful thing. Yeah, I love what you said about, you know, really
1: having this emphasis and idea that, we're breaking cycles for generations to come. And that's real wealth. That's beautiful. And I think that, think about it. If you held a button, magic button right now, and you can push that button, knowing that you will change the lineage of your entire family that's coming after you, what a beautiful thing. And our choices that we make now is exactly doing that. Our choices are the button. One thing that I think about the most and that you touched on a little bit earlier was uh, the body. And in my situation in particular, my mom was very critical of appearance Mm -hmm. and the way that she looked. And I Mm -hmm. always looked at that. And as I grew up, I was like, that's not me. But as I got into my 30s, that all changed. And I noticed how, um, for me, I assigned a lot of value to my body, Mm -hmm. how my body looked, how Mm -hmm. I looked, how I attracted other people, Um, you know especially trauma and and things Mm -hmm. that were attached to the body. I found myself being a mom and noticing the urge, as you talked about, to sometimes be critical, Mm -hmm. Um, like your hair is not brushed or, you know, you Mm kind of smell a little bit. You need to go take a shower. And I caught myself being very careful of the line of being critical or the line of being a mom and just wanting you to have good hygiene. For those moms that are listening, how important is that connection between how we show up for our own bodies and appearance and the ways that our daughters show up
0: for theirs? Um, So I think when I was talking about the body, I'm talking about more like um, our internal like cues, you know. Of like when the relationship is unhealthy with our with anybody around us, right, mm-hmm. you're gonna have like alarm bells kind of like going off on your body, and you can feel like anxious or nervous or angry, or you know tears kind of welling up right um so that's kind of what I was talking about when I'm like you know the body mm-hmm. is a beautiful thing to kind of send you little signals of like, hey, danger's approaching mm-hmm. um but to kind of go on what you're talking about here. I think and I think a lot of us have similar you know wounding or ways in which we wish our mothers showed up and now maybe we're swinging way far the other way or we're kind of tiptoeing around some of these things you know that like you're describing of okay how am I going to raise my daughter where I'm teaching her appropriately how to care for her body, but not criticizing her body, right? Mm -hmm. And so these are really hard things because, and I think that this happens a lot and you notice some of these things happening you know even like politically at times or just like in the world in general where like something's really bad and we're all like all right this is really bad and then the pendulum swings so far over to the other side and you're like all right but this isn't it either like how do we just Mm -hmm. kind of get somewhere in the middle right for mine it's um education you know with my in my upbringing i feel like we went to really good private schools, but nobody gave two hoots about what you were doing in that, that school. It was just like only strictly for appearance that we were there, but like mm-hmm. I wasn't learning a thing. Mm-hmm. And by like third grade, I still couldn't read. You know, by uh, seventh, eighth grade, I'm like, everybody is so far ahead of me. I'm just gonna be the kid that like checks out of school and I'm just like too cool for school and now I'm not learning anything, right? And so now I'm, like, noticing with my kids, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I got to be on it. I got to be on it. You know, I got to, like, be the helicopter parent when it comes to their education so that they never fall behind and become that kid, right, Mm -hmm. who just feels so inadequate. Um, And that's been kind of a lot of, like, my own personal work around that is, okay, instead of making it this, like hot button thing in our house and whatever's the thing yours is you know some body image stuff mine's like the education those listening like pick your thing right what is the thing instead of making it you know this super um i don't know just like i'm like having a brain fart on like my word um like high pressured thing You know, instead of putting like a ton of pressure on this one thing, how can we invite conversation around some of these things, right? And just kind of like checking in on how they're feeling in the way that you are parenting. So if you're Mm -hmm. really concerned of, okay, I want to make sure I'm instilling proper hygiene, right? Make Mm -hmm. sure you're brushing your hair. Make sure you're, you know showering appropriately and getting all your bits. You know, I've got one kid who's going through puberty right now, so we've had to have lots mm-hmm. of conversations around what proper hygiene is, making sure that you're putting on the deodorant. Um, you know, but I think that like we can have some of these conversations and making sure that they're doing these things appropriately and taking care of themselves and making sure that they're um, you know, developing healthy study habits, and that they're getting the help that they need at school that they're speaking up when they're not understanding, right, I can check in about all these things. But I can also check in on how am I making you feel around all these things? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's kind of the secret sauce that our generation can do differently, Mm -hmm. is just like constantly checking in, hey, how are you feeling? You know, I just had a conversation with my oldest, he's 13 years old, which I think is like where a lot of my wounding began as I was becoming my own person. Mm-hmm. Um, I started having relationships with boys, you know, and like things were happening Same. then. And that was very scary for my mom, I can imagine. Um, she just did not know how to handle some of those things. Mm-hmm. And so it came out as very shaming. And so I kind of just addressed that. And I said, you know, okay, we're moving into some of these years. And I didn't go into what my wounding is, because I think that that it's appropriate not to uh, burden or parentify our kids. But, you know, just kind of saying, all right, we're moving into some of these years, you're the oldest. So it's the first time I've ever done this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's going to be the first time with each of you. I want there to be communication during these years where you're coming and telling me, hey, when you were teasing me about my girlfriend, that didn't make me feel good. When you said this about my body, it made me feel like this, right? And I think that if we could open the door for them to say some of these things to us and create a space where they're not getting in trouble when they come and say, hey, that didn't land well for me. Uh, the way that you snapped back about that didn't it feel good. You know, I noticed that you were up to your eyeballs with the toddler earlier, but like I'm 13, I've got a three and a 13 and then two in the middle. It's a lot. Um, but you know, when you were just like short patience and you said this, it made me feel like this, you know, creating some of these spaces where you can have some of these check ins where they're not scared to come and tell you how they feel mm-hmm. is so important. Agreed. And I know we were going to talk about some of this uh, not raising kids that are scared of you stuff. Do you want me to kind of expand on that here?
1: Yeah, no. So I... um. I think that you know you're absolutely correct with that. Creating a safe space so that our kids feel comfortable coming to us with that because I know that's the space I've created with my daughter, Mm -hmm. and she has no problem telling me when she. (laughs) Sometimes you're like,
0: like I could have never.
1: (laughs) So how how do we as parents uh, create that space to where our kids do feel safe to come to us with that? Especially if that was never modeled for us.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think just constant like conversation right some of that connecting pieces and that happens early um of just you know being able to create some of this connection with them it comes from acknowledging and owning our stuff while it's happening especially during like the younger years where they don't have language around some of these things Start developing some of the language around some of these things, you know. So for my younger people, it's, you know, Hey, I think when I said this, I really hurt your feelings. I think that made you sad, you know, helping them kind of link, you know, when people do certain things, does that hit, you know, some kind of emotion different, you know, helping them develop some of those skills earlier. Now, if you're, you know, coming in a little bit later and just now starting some of these things, no worries, you don't have to shame yourself, you don't have to feel like you're a million years behind, have an honest conversation, you know, start acknowledging some of those things as they're happening, develop those language and some of those skills, right where you're at. Um, Hey, I think when I was teasing you about your girlfriend, that made you feel blank. Hey, I think when I snapped at you and yelled at you, I made you feel some kind of way. I think when I was being critical over the way that you styled your hair today, that probably made you feel like nothing you ever do is good enough, you know, kind of linking some of these things, they might come back at you and say, that's not how it made me feel. And you're like, okay, you know, if it does ever get to a place where you are feeling things like that, you can talk to me, you know, I'm not going to be mad when you do. But then on the other side of that, because then when they do come to you, and my kids have no problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) coming and saying, Hey, you scared me. Hey, you made me feel some kind of way, right? And some of those moments feel like a gut punch one, because they feel super uncomfortable, because that is not a part of our blueprint. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, two oh my gosh i'm doing everything wrong that can like kind of hit on some of your own wounding so check in on like what is your wounding where is that hitting for me is that hitting an abandonment wounding a rejection wounding uh i nothing i ever do is good enough wounding i'm the problem wounding right check in okay but that's that's our stuff that we gotta get our butt the therapy and work on um that's not our child's responsibility but I think it can be really, you know, this mind up around it of, Oh my gosh, I could have never talked to my mother like this. This is not safe to come to an adult and do. And so just like being mindful and checking in with yourself. It's okay to pause any conversation or ever. If you are feeling activated because your kid's coming at you and saying, Hey, when you yelled earlier, that really scared me and you want to go into defensive mode. Or you want to shut it down, or you want to whatever, that's your body signaling that this is not a safe conversation, right? Because where you came from, it wasn't. So you might feel like, oh my gosh, I'm right back in the lion's den. I'm about to get my ass handed to me. I'm about to get shut out, or whatever, or I need to fight to the death to prove that I'm right, right? I hear you that that scared you, that's what you can say. Um, let me think about that for a minute. And go punch some pillows, cuss out your mom in the pillows. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that this is so hard for me. Why is parenting, you know, such a hardship all the time, because I'm constantly having to check in and do the hard work and do things differently. And I hate you. And I'm resentful that this is so hard for me, you can have all of those feelings, go punch it out, go talk it out. Um, Go for a walk, listen to music. Um hold ice get your brain back online right come back to yourself and then rejoin the conversation right mm-hmm. but i think that the more we prove to our kids that we can be in these conversations that it is safe for you to have these conversations with me the more we build that connection with them the less likely we're going to have teens who are hiding things from us who don't feel like they can trust us mm-hmm. um And the more communication and connection you're going to build with your kids is the more you're checking in and proving that it is safe to talk to me, right? And -hmm. that's showing them what it looks like to manage your own emotions by taking the pause if you are activated and by having some of the conversations.
1: Yeah, I think it's really crucial that we create that safe space because like Mm -hmm. you said, I couldn't imagine if I go to my mom and say, you know, like the other day I had a competition uh, for dance that I do. And the first thing that came to her mind was, you're looking kind of chubby. And I'm just like, really? Like, come on, you know? And so I would never go to her and be like that made me feel like this because I know that there's no point but for me as a mother I want to be able to create that safe space so that way if I do say or do something or you know anything I want her to be able to feel safe enough to say like hey this bothered me and so that's so crucial and for those that are listening who are really going through this um difficult time with contemplating do they want to cut off their parent do they want to stay connected
0: what advice would you have for them just to be so gentle with you like i said before it is the hardest decision i think anybody will ever make it goes against everything that is natural and normal for human beings you know we come into this world biologically hardwired to need this person, and for you to make that impossible decision is so hard. so be so gentle with you um, I would also give advice that you have to have safe community, whether that's a really great uh relationship with your therapist, that's a loving and safe space to land in your home with your partner. Um Supportive friends who get it or get what it's like for you to be in that relationship who are cheering you on to be the healthiest version of yourself, you need those relationships and then I think that you know there's no right or wrong way to move forward with dysfunctional family systems, so whether you choose to maintain those relationships, but they are going to look different. They're going to be limited, there's going to be better boundaries, you're going to uh, manage yourself better around some of these situations, whatever that looks like. Or if you are like the alarm bells have been ringing in my body for far too long. I am so activated. I'm so triggered all the time, because I'm in this relationship with this person. I am not showing up as the mother, I want to be as the person I want to be as the partner I want to be, because I'm in a really unhealthy relationship. And this is my last resort, like I have to get out of this relationship so that I can be all these great things that I want to be. If that is where you end, again, you have to have the supportive people around you. Um And I just want to normalize the messiness of healing that beginning stage of healing is like when a caterpillar goes into a cocoon to become a butterfly the cocoon phase is messy and yucky and they like literally break down and are all gooey and gross and it's violent and yucky and whatever that's what the beginning healing of stages is like it breaks you open It looks like depression at times. For me, it was like a big, dark and scary depression hole. Um, For others, it looks very lonely, very painful, lots of crying. Um, For others, it might look completely different. But I think no matter what, it's going to be some version of walking through a fire to get to the other side. And there is another side. There is healing. And no matter where you're at, you can find healing. But I just hope that everybody that's listening, I hope that you're so gentle with you. And I hope that you know that you deserve good, healthy relationships. I hope that you know that you deserve to be in relationship with people who value you, who see you, who love you unconditionally. You deserve those spaces in your life. And so no matter where you're at, I hope that you find those people to love and cheer you on and support you. And I just hope that you're so gentle with you. It is the hardest road.
1: Abby, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for talking about um, a very taboo and hard stigmatized subject that so many of us need to have in in order to heal and creating a safe space for those of us that um, really want to find other people that have been through similar experiences, especially for an experience that can feel so isolating. So thank you so much for what you're doing and thank you for coming on the show.
0: Thank you.